You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and happy Mardi Gras coming to you uh, today from Global Trade This Week. I am Pete Mento, and with me, um, as always, when I'm not on it, or he's not on it, I suppose not always, but my good friend and my partner, Doug Draper. Doug, what's going on? Uh, not much. Just enjoying uh, the uh, the weather here in Denver. I don't know why I always talk about weather, right? It's like a bunch of old guys complaining. What, yeah. Is it Mortimer? Who, who are those guys up the Muppets? I don't remember both of their names, but yes. How's your arthritis, Doug? Want to talk 401ks? It's like, good. What else can be? Yeah, feeling pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. The damn yeah. kids. Damn kids. So, anyway. Pete, I'm in Denver. I'm loving it. Uh, it's good to have you back on the show. I know oh, I'm sure it is. Between you and me, and and Keenan's the glue of this whole operation. So I'm glad that he's able to fill in when he fills in. I prefer he's more the paste. I don't know if he's glue. <laughs> he's the paste that keeps the operation together. I am coming to you from Greensville, South Carolina, where I am um, speaking on Thursday at the um, South Carolina Manufacturing Association's Automotive Summit, which is EV heavy, Doug, which, you know, I know we got a topic today. Yes. Um, but I just flew in yesterday from New Orleans, rode in Demian, as I always do. I had a great weekend, um, but I'm not there for Mardi Gras Day. I'll tell you, Doug, I'm just not a Mardi Gras Day kind of guy anymore. It's too old for that, pal. So, yeah. uh, but happy Mardi Gras to everyone. Happy Fat Tuesday. It's not Skinny Tuesday, it's Fat Tuesday. So do what you want to have a good time and, uh, Enjoy it before before the great fast for those of you that are Catholics over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. All right, Doug, hit me. All right. We're going to kind of, we have a common um, uh, discussion point, so we'll just get that started off. And we've talked about this, and to be honest with you, Pete, I think I spoke about this just in the last couple of weeks. But every single week, there's more and more validation statements and things happening out there that are that are justifying my ultimate comment, right? So it's all about the Red Sea, right? And everybody's thinking it's over there. The problem is over there and I import over here in the United States and it's not really my problem and it shouldn't impact me. And the answer to that is yes, hell yes, it's going to impact you. It's gonna impact the imports, it's gonna impact the trucking. And all of this is just, um, the supply chain, right? The chain's all connected and the touch points and the transition points that we've spoken about. So anyway, Red Sea crisis, rates and schedules are going to continue to get wonky. You're going to talk about that in a little bit, right? Rates mm -hmm. are going to go up. They're not going to go down. Once they're up, for the most part, they stay up. Now I know the pandemic and the COVID was a little wonky out there in, in the West Coast. The schedules, right? That's the big thing is that the boats and the vessels are not going to be in a position of where they need to be to take the next step in their, in their journey, right? Because it's taking longer to go around Africa. So that boat is not where it's supposed to be. That's a delay or, or a, a redirection. Then you got the Panama Canal, that drought happening, same things going on. Vessels are not going through there. Um, that's creating the problem. East Coast labor, is an issue coming up, right? So even if you get through the Panama Canal, uh, we spoke about 2024 was the year of labor with all of the union negotiations. Well, it's the East Coast term uh, turn this year, Pete. I believe it's October uh, when all the uh, the ports out there on the East Coast, September of October, and it's not going to be as as um, labor friendly uh, this go around. I, I think they're going to be in a in, in a they meaning the union 
is not going to have the heavy hand like we saw on the West Coast. Um, the overcapacity remains very high on the West Coast. So all of that, Pete, says that Hollywood is back, baby. I've said this before, and it's very important. So if you have all this chaos going all over the country, you're like, screw this. Interest rates are high. I'm borrowing money against my inventory. I don't have time for it to sit on a boat. I need access to it immediately. I'm going to the West Coast. The more people go to the West Coast, it's going to start to get a little congested, but there's tons of capacity. Being a warehouse guy, I know what the Southern California market is right now. It's a little bit soft. So you're going to have everybody coming through L.A. That means West Coast carriers that are taking that from the port to the warehouse, the warehouse inland, full truckload LTL. There's going to be capacity. Things are going to go into that area. So if you provide services or import your goods, or excuse me, if you provide services through the West Coast, you're going to have a banner year because people are just wanting to get access to their goods as fast as they possibly can. Now, I know Mexico uh, became the largest importer uh, into the U.S. recently. We talked about that. But I'll tell you what, man, the chaos across the world, Panama, Red Sea, schedules being upended. California is back, and it's going to be the cool place. It's where all the cool kids are going to hang out, Pete. And you're going to see a lot of traffic driving through there and a lot of carriers taking advantage of product that needs to move inland. So Hollywood's back, baby. Yeah, I, I actually agree here. Um, you're going to have just simply because of the transit times and the cost. Uh, you put those two things together. It's just a fait accompli. And also now, you know, because of the issue with equipment, it's there's not enough containers getting back in time. So it's, you know, it's it's definitely going to cause some uh, some madness there. I think, Doug, that we just we can't underscore enough how well designed and engineered the West Coast arrival from Chinese base ports is. It's just, it's more efficient. And now that you've added inefficiencies of having to go around the horn or go through the canal, it just makes sense. The only problem I'm foreseeing is that so much traffic has been pushed on these larger ships by the carriers to try to get as much profit as possible out of it. That might mean capacity issues. And once that, once that happens, then the transportation providers, the middlemen, the NVOCCs, the freight forwarders will start seeing more money. But right now, it's just more cost. We're not actually making more money to help companies to do this. We're just mm -hmm. passing through higher costs at uh, you know limited profit. But I agree with you, Doug. This is, this is definitely going to be a West Coast year. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Well, I started the conversation about the Red Sea, and I know you had some, some thoughts and takes yeah. on that. So you just will roll into your topic number one. So the uh, you know the the Red Sea issue that remains problematic is having some sort of defense for ships that go through, and right now the lion's share of that is being done by the British and the Americans, but a lot of the traffic that's going through is not going through for Britain and for the United States. It's actually going through for China, and you have a lot of energy that is going through tanker traffic through that that area for China, and China now is being desperately negatively affected because of energy rates that they can see four, five, six months down the road because of the refining process. They're going through the roof. So unfortunately, because China has not been effectively taking part in the defense of that region, they don't want to cooperate with the Western powers. It doesn't appear to be a quick fix for this. So with war risk, insurance continuing to go up and insurance as a whole going up, along with the fact that more and more mariners are refusing to actually serve in this particular part of the world, you're going to have a deeper issue on mariners, vessels, and then insurance companies deciding whether or not they want to service that energy route for China. 
So this is going to increase energy costs into China dramatically as this crude is not getting to the places it needs to get to to be refined. And ultimately, that's going to mean desperate increases in diesel, gas, jet fuel, everything into China. And I don't think we've talked enough about that. The United States has the ability to be self-sufficient when it comes to energy. China simply does not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the insurance piece, Pete, you brought that up before that I had not really thought about. But at some point, insurance companies are going to say, uncle, we've seen that in California with the with uh, all the natural disasters out there. But that's a key point that's going to drive up costs that has nothing to do with operating a vessel or uh, the cost of cargo on the on the uh, on the ship. Agreed, buddy. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll lead us off with uh, or I'll do the intro. Cap Logistics. They're the the uh, the the paste. They're the glue, Pete, not the paste. They're the glue keeps this show together. We appreciate them putting us on every single week. And uh, you can visit them at caplogistics.com. All right. Let her rip, buddy. You got a good halftime. Yeah, man. So Elon Musk's company Neuralink has put their technology into a human being. The first use of this is to allow paraplegics to be able to operate their prosthetics and to be able to use technology to speak through for those that are nonverbal. And it's amazing, you know, but um, in reality, we don't know how long this person can deal with the technology. It's like anything else. It's going to be a slow rollout, but it's incredible to think that in 2024, we're at the point now where a computer is directly associating information and data back and forth from the human mind into a server. And as this gets deeper and deeper, you know, the intent is for us to be able to record basically our existence. But for now, it's mostly medical. Um, so I think it's incredible, Doug. They're, they're way, way ahead of schedule, way ahead of schedule where they thought they were going to be. I'm not letting anybody cut into my brain anytime soon, Doug. Uh, hopefully, I don't ever need it. Um, but it's an incredible scientific leap forward. And I think that they should be applauded for what they've done. Mm, nice. Yeah, agreed. I think that's good stuff. We'll have to wait and see. A lot of that's self reported, though. So we'll have to see how much of that shakes out. That's right. All right. Yeah. Cool. So, Doug, you All got right. a great one. You got a great one this week. Hit me. Yeah, well, it's one day delayed because we couldn't get this thing done on Monday, but it's Super Bowl related, right? So here's my four bullet points, really three on Super Bowl. Let's talk about uh, commercials, right? I think Timu won the show, right? It was fluid animation, catchy song. Uh, It had a different tagline, which was shop like a billionaire. Um, I thought that was really cool because they ran it, I don't know, four or five times catchy tune the whole nine yards it wasn't uh fancy celebrities or anything so i i really like that one i think people would put it down on the mid-level as far as ranking commercials but but i like that one maybe the dunkings just for a comedy show with um uh you know matt damon um and ben affleck and i think uh brady was in that one and j-lo so that was kind of cute um here's the deal with the halftime so my second point I was incredibly disappointed. I like Usher. I mean, literally, I put his songs on and moonwalk to my car every single day. So I'm a huge Usher fan. I think that halftime was like bottom three, right, of all time. It just didn't have any pop or pizzazz. And I'll tell you what the top three were, Pete, and I know the one that you think is number one. So personally, I'm going third to number one. Third, U2. Number two, Katy Perry. I love that one from like 2015. And obviously Prince, you made mention to that when he was just rocking it out in the rain in the oh something or others, but not a big fan. I love Usher, not a big fan of the Super Bowl. 
uh, halftime show. And then the one thing, I don't know if you saw that uh, RFK Jr. commercial that just kind of popped out of nowhere. Yeah. And he used like some old footage from uh, JFK's uh, election in 1960 or something. And then his family came out and basically said, this guy has, he may have the same ma- name, but he has no, none of the values, none of the vision and none of the judgment of our, of our family, which I don't know. That was just a strange commercial. He says he didn't, didn't even know it was happening. I, I don't know. It was just, just kind of weird, but excellent game. Probably one of the best that we've seen in, 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 in many years, but those are my three takes on the Super Bowl. Okay. So point number one, the Dunkings commercial was just next level epic. And right now on DunkinDonuts.com, you can buy the sweatsuits. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, so they, they went on sale today, Doug. So I think you and I need to get a pair for our next, uh, our next personal visit any place. I think we should wear yeah. the Dunk King sweatsuits. I love that commercial because um, of the, the people that were in it. Second of all, man, that, that, uh, that halftime show was a top 10 for me. And there's a reason for that, right? So I'm in New Orleans for the Super Bowl. Usher's an Atlanta guy, and he basically brought all these fantastic Southern R&B and hip-hop people. Lil Jon was there. You know, Alicia Keys was there. Uh, I think Missy Elliott at one point was there. Like, he had everybody show up. And and as as they they turned up and sang with him, the bar I was at got louder and louder and crazier and crazier. And when Lil Jon came on, I thought the roof was going to fall off the place. It was insane. <laughs> Uh, so it was, fa- I thought it was fabulous. I really did like the, the, the middle time as far as Kennedy goes. Um, you know, he did say I had nothing and legally. He's absolutely right. It was done by a pack. The pack gets money from everyone and he is not allowed to endorse their messages. As a matter of fact, it's illegal for him to, to see the messages before they go out. So he hmm. didn't know what they were going to do. It featured his father and his uncle. And as one of the oldest surviving Kennedy children, I think he has the right, you know, to use his father's image. Uh, as far as Ken, you know, JFK goes, I suppose they have a point there. But I thought it was an excellent commercial as far as political commercials go. It was very positive, made a lot of positive messages, and really didn't uh, linger on negatives. The game was awesome. I'm I'm not really a fan of either team. I did bet on it and I lost. Um, I only put about 20 bucks on it. So it's not a big deal. Um, But man, I thought that was a fabulous game too. you know, back and forth over time. And you just knew that when they barely had a lead at the half that it's Mahomes, baby. Like he's, he's the new Tom Brady. You you just have to give him a little bit of space and he's going to beat you every single time. Mm -hmm. So it was amazing to watch it come up with it. Shanahan needs to be fired. (laughs) <laughs> for taking the ball um, uh, first in overtime. What a moron move against Mahomes. But man, what a, I've got a feeling you're probably going to see that same Super Bowl next year, buddy. It was just, yeah. it was just awesome. It was awesome. Great stories all around. And I believe that they only showed uh, uh, Tay-Tay for 76 seconds or something throughout the whole Super Bowl. But every time they did, it got a very mixed emotion from the people at the bar with me. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Nice. <laughs> Good, good, good. Well, we agree on the game. All the peripherals, I'd say, we're not on the same page. No, no. The the the, the Dunk Kings commercial was just because you know I'm a New England guy. It was fascinating. It was wonderful. Um, you're blinded by the pinstripes. That's that is going to be every kid from Boston is going to be saying that to anybody they meet from New York from from here on out. Um, yeah, but well, yeah, I, I heard. Well, I heard a new term called mass holes, uh, right. which are 
which are, I don't know if that's new or whatever, but I'm like, yeah, that kind of fits. No, that is an excellent derogatory term for someone from the Commonwealth. Uh, (laughs) It is very much. And and as you also know, Dunkin' Donuts is like a cultural thing in New England. So it fits pretty well. All that commercial fits pretty well. For an alternative to that, I highly suggest the Casey Affleck Saturday Night Live Dunkin' Donuts commercial, which is probably a little more true to life about Dunkin's (laughs) life in New England. That one is awesome. I've seen that one is epic. I love it. Yeah, it is good. All right, Doug, what's our next topic? All right. So uh, this is the crazy part about the show, Pete, is that we have um, comments and sometimes they go uh, one direction and the next week they go another. So last week I was talking about EVs and how China was coming hard for Elon and um, their market is exploding. I'm taking a 180 on this one um, as far as the rest of the industry. Right. So I want to say, Pete, are we witnessing the death? of the electric vehicle market. And, and here's why I'm saying that, right? So there are a couple of bullet points. Number one, there is a huge backlog of EVs at, EVs at dealerships across the country. They're trying to get rid of them, right? Yeah. Hertz announced maybe a year ago, two years ago, how they were gonna purchase 20,000 electric vehicles to put into their fleet. Uh, now they're selling them because nobody wants to deal with an EV on, on a rental car. I had a personal experience that I've talked about before. Um, there is a company called Cake, which is an EV motorcycle company out of Sweden, bankrupt. Uh, most recently, a company called Arrive, which was an EV automaker in the UK, a bankrupt. Uh, Lordstown uh, here in the US, you may have heard of them. Um, they went chapter 11. Now everything's up for sale. Um, the recent cold we had a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, batteries weren't charging, people were stuck, people freaking out. So listen, until charging stations resemble gas stations where you can come in, they're, well, number one, they're plentiful, they're everywhere. Number two, you can charge up your car in like five minutes. Uh, there's still that fear of being stranded. And uh, I think people are just kind of coming full circle on it. But there is the rise of the hybrid. Uh, I think that it's a good combination of Hey, there's gas when you're going across country. So you have that comfort level and then you can kick it into EV mode when you're in the city. And the companies that have existing infrastructure to support that is the big three automakers. Um, And so I think they're really going to shine with hyping up the hybrid model versus pure electric. But I, I think that there's just all this money was thrown into EV at one time and all of these companies are starting to to peel off and, and falter. I'm sure there's others out there that aren't as well known that are having difficulties, but I think the, the, the sentiment on EVs, Pete, is dramatically changing. I would be curious to see what you're hearing on Thursday um, in South Carolina. Well, I'm here now. And the, the talk of, of, the whole, of the whole symposium has started with Volvo pulling out of the Polestar agreement. They're, I guess they're not they're not investing in it anymore. Um, the Lightning, the Ford Lightning, which was one of the darlings of the industry, it's just not selling. And how there seem to be these specialty cars like the, um, the, the Rivian, right? That's doing quite well. And just the good old fashioned Tesla, the bigger version, like, I don't know what it's called. They continue to sell quite well. And um, it remains, in the opinion of a lot of people, inevitable right? Like this is an inevitable adoption of technology. We're going to see inevitable, but inevitable between then and now is an awful long time. So yeah. at what point, and it really comes down to a policy question and it's a big one, 
the first side of that policy question is, are we ever going to lower the tariffs on Chinese batteries? Are we ever going to get to a point where the most expensive part of the car by far is something that is not so horribly expensive? There's, there's only one company really in the U.S. manufacturing batteries right now, and they can't make them fast enough. You know, And then the, the usual car companies are saying that they can make 400 a week, you know, 500 a week, but they're only able to make 80, 100 because of demand and because of the inability to get these batteries. So it's that's inevitable problem. The second part of the policy is, um, are we going to use general funds to create more charging stations? From what I understand, these car companies are just buying the Tesla connection so that they can be used at all the Tesla you know, um, energy spots. But there's a lot of expense that goes with that as well. And there's only so many of those. You know, If you wanted to drive from Washington, D.C. to New York, depending on the cold, depending on performance, you're probably going to have to stop along the way to recharge at some point. And that is a, a, a long time. It takes a while. So yes, EVs are inevitable and they're already a part of our life. But I think adoption of it is going a lot slower than people realized. And a great example of that is the Lightning. The Ford Lightning is a, is a marvel of technology, but it's just so damn expensive. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can buy a Polestar and spend 50 or 60 grand and get into what's basically a you know, base model Camry. Or you can buy a Toyota Camry with the same stuff on it and have everything from heated and cooled seats to, you know, top of the line, everything and leather and all the rest of it. I think that the average American car buyer is still thinking with their wallet. They're not thinking about the environment as much. And they're probably not thinking about the technology. They're saying, what can my money get me? How long will it last me? And what are the creature comforts I get with it? And until mm-hmm. those things reach the same level, uh, you're absolutely right, Doug. It's It's inevitable in my opinion, but it's a long time between now and inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it there at the end, Pete. I like your, I like your summation. So, all right. You get to bring us home, rip it up. All right. So nerd alert, everyone, just get ready for it. The, uh, the world trade organization is having its, its meeting that happens every four years where all the big trading nations are going to come together and they're going to talk about the baselines for trade policy. And for walks like me, this is super important because this is all the details of rulemaking that will end up turning into free trade agreements. That's not the thing I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about is the nation that's going to probably be pushing all the arguments and agreements is India. For as long as there's been a WTO, for as long as there's been these meetings, it's always been China, the US and Europe that were pushing most of the conversations. Not anymore, Doug. India is coming in now realizing their place in the world and they're going to demand change in a lot of areas agriculture, fisheries, pharmaceuticals, they're going to take a stand. And they're, they're, they're making it very clear so far that they're not going to back down from their expectations. So first of all, good for India. This is an excellent situation to be in. And second of all, the United States needs to start considering India more as an equal partner in trade rather than someone that they can use to leverage other areas of trade. So I'll be excited to see how it comes out uh, over the next couple of weeks. Once it's done, Doug, I'm sure I'll have an extra nerdy review of how it went. <laughs> I love it. I like the fact that you said India is finding their place in the world. That is the perfect statement, and it'll be fun to see how their place comes out after this uh, after this uh, this meeting. So, all right. Well, I'm just going to wrap this thing up real quick. A global trade this week. I think it's episode 135. And we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us every single week. Uh, you can listen to us. You can see us. You can uh, gain access where you can um, uh, 
get access to all of your favorite pods. So um, Cap Logistics, thank you for your support as always. Pete, what, what's the name of that thing around your neck again? It's my Endemian members medallion. Member, member uh -huh. Endemian, the crew of Endemian. So happy Mardi Gras, everybody. Yeah, and thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week on another edition of Global Trade This Week. Take care.